Well, good morning. We're uh, continuing today to make our way through uh, the book of James. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look today at uh, verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> For the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor David has been talking about the connection between faith and works. In other words, uh, the connection between saying that you believe the gospel and actually living like you really do believe the gospel. Uh, as an example, if you came here today, I see many of you are wearing coats, and you probably put on a coat because you believed it was cold outside. And for those of you who aren't wearing a coat, you probably didn't think it was all that cold, right? And, and so the reality is, uh, is that we, we live according to what we believe. We, we may say that we believe one thing and live another way, but, but at the end of the day, all of us live exactly according to what we believe. And sometimes where the disconnect can be is that we say we believe a thing, but, but then we live in a different manner. And so James has been going through some just very practical areas of life, uh, connecting the dots between uh, belief and how we actually live. And today, um, he's going to address something that will probably nail all of us in some way. So I'm just going to prepare you now, uh, get ready to maybe have your feathers ruffled, okay? It's not me, hopefully, that's going to ruffle the feathers, but hopefully God's Word uh, will rub uh, up against us. Uh, one pastor I know one time was asked um, to define preaching, and one of the ways that he defined preaching, he says, you haven't begun to preach the gospel uh, until you've begun to rub up against people's lives, uh, meaning that uh, if, if we never uh, are rubbed by the truth of the gospel, then, then maybe we're not confronted with the full truth of the gospel. The gospel doesn't call us to change how we live, maybe we're not preaching the gospel. And so it's our hope that as you come here week in and week out, that, that this rubs up against you sometimes, because that's how we know that we're preaching the gospel, is, is if it causes us to think about the way that we live, and it causes us to reconsider uh, maybe the way that we live. And today will hopefully be one of those days where the truth of the gospel rubs up against us in such a way that it causes us to reconsider some things about our life. And so as we jump into James chapter 3, I want to read, we're going to go through verse 12 today, but I want to read right now the first couple of verses. Uh, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Now, there are not a whole lot of places in Scripture that, that keep me awake at night, but this is one of those passages that, like, if anything keeps me awake at night as a preacher, uh, it's James saying, not many of you should preach, right? Not many of you should teach. Not many of you should stand up in front of people and deliver God's Word because, and I don't know how James knows this, but somehow he knows that teachers of God's Word will be judged with a greater strictness. And I don't know if it's weird to think that, like, I've signed up for that, right? All of the pastors, we, we've signed up for stricter judgment as ones who teach to you and preach to you the Word of God. For some of you, the idea of standing up in front of people, teaching, preaching, whatever, it, it scares some of you to death, right? Public speaking, it's one of the greatest fears. Just over time, it's always been near the top of the list or at the top of the list of people's greatest fears. For others of you, uh, it's not something that's very scary at all. It's actually um, 
For some of you, you relish the idea of having a place of prominence or being recognized, being in the spotlight, uh, whatever the case may be. But James brings a sobering truth here to the forefront that those who teach the Word of God willingly sign up for a stricter judgment than those who aren't teachers. And as we're going to see today, words are powerful. The words that we use, are, they're no small thing. And it's not a small thing to be in a prominent role where you teach others. It's a weighty responsibility, and I know that I speak for all of the pastors when we say that we feel this weight uh, week in and week out as we prepare sermons. Uh, just like Pastor David's example this morning of standing in front of you saying, I, like, I crossed some streams and I made a, um, not a catastrophic mistake by any means, but just to say that I, I, I misspoke and correcting it, it's because we feel the weight of what it is to deliver to you God's Word, and we feel the weight of wanting to get it right. We feel the responsibility of wanting to do the best job that we can week in and week out. That being said, if this is the case, why in the world would anyone sign up for this? Why would anyone say, sign me up for stricter judgment? It, it kind of doesn't make sense, right? And that's part of why we don't take it lightly. At the same time, I think I would speak for all the pastors too when I say that, that we would all say that, that there's nothing in our lives that are mo that's more important than standing before you and proclaiming the truth of the gospel and the goodness of God. There, there's nothing more important. It's the reason that the Christian exists on the earth is to proclaim God's goodness, to speak the truth of the gospel to a dying world. It's the reason that the church exists, right? We don't exist so that we can come here once a week and just get our fix of seeing each other. Hopefully that happens, but, but that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to take the good news of the gospel into the world, right? It's why we exist. There's a reason that when you come to faith in Christ that you're not transported to heaven just immediately upon coming to faith. And that reason is that we get to speak the gospel. We get to deliver the message of the gospel to the world around us. And that, that's a weighty thing. It, it's a responsibility that God has given us as individual Christians, and it's a responsibility that God has given the church, is to take His message into the world. And that's a responsibility that all of you have, not, not just preachers, but all of you. Right? And God has gifted some to stand up in front of the church and proclaim the good news of the gospel so that you can learn and that you can take that message with you when you walk outside of these doors. I read an article this week um, about an interview of a well-known pastor. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You would know who it is if I said the name of this pastor. Very prolific on the radio. And he was being interviewed. And in this interview, he told the interviewer, you should get into preaching. And the interviewer said, well, why? Why should I get into preaching? And this well-known preacher says, because it's tax-free. And this is a, a well-known preacher from a large church, makes lots of money, has actually come under fire lately for the amount of money that he makes and the house that he lives in and those kinds of things. And, and my heart just sunk when I read that because that's not the job of the pastor. It's not the reason that people enter the ministry is because you can get some tax breaks, right? Thankful that the IRS affords us those opportunities, but that's not, that's not the reason. And this man has quite a large following, and here he's telling someone you should get into preaching because it's tax-free. 
And I read that, and just like I said, my heart kind of sunk because here, here's somebody with quite a large following who, based on that comment, I don't think understands the weightiness and the responsibility it is to be a preacher of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be sitting here right now after reading these two verses here and this thinking, okay, this, you know, this is going to be about preachers and I'm off the hook. You're, you're not off the hook, right? This, this whole text isn't solely about teachers and preachers. But now that James has, has picked on the teachers, so to speak, he's going to open it up to the rest of us because he says, so not many of you should become teachers because there's a stricter judgment there, but then he says, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble, then he's perfect. And so these words, all and anyone, like they're, they're pretty all-encompassing, right? That, that doesn't mean this is just, just for me, this is for all of us as well. And when he talks about stumbling, he's talking about sinning. We could translate that to say we all sin in many ways. And if anyone doesn't sin, then he's perfect. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but if I asked, you know, all the perfect people raise their hand, nobody would raise their hands, right? Or at least you shouldn't raise your hand even if you're thinking about it. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, who can say that I've made my heart pure? I'm clean from all my sin. And this is a rhetorical question that really the answer is that no one can say that they've made their heart pure. No one can say that they're clean from sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so as we consider what James is about to say about the taming of the tongue, keep that in mind. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. How many of you have ever said something that the instant that it came out of your mouth you just like, what did, I, what did I just say? Why did I say that? Or even as you're formulating the thought, you think, I shouldn't say this, and then you say it anyway, right? We, we've all probably done that. Well, in verse 3, James goes on to say that if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. They're so large, and they are driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. He goes on to say, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And so James gives us three examples here, two kind of what we might call positive examples and one that we might call a negative example. So the positive examples, he talks about a horse having a bit in its mouth and controlling the entire horse. Now, I'm not a horse person, but I suspect we have a few of you probably in the room who have experience with horses, and I think I've ridden a horse maybe two or three times in my life. Um, but, but I know that when that horse has the bit in its mouth and you have the reins, generally speaking, you can make that horse go wherever you want it to, uh, to go, right? This is not a, not a difficult example for us to grasp. And then James talks about a ship and its rudder. Now, think about a giant cruise ship. I've never been on a cruise ship. Maybe some of you have. But that giant cruise ship, it's guided by a very small rudder, and all the pilot has to do is say, I want to go this way, I want to go that way, forwards, backwards, whatever it is. And, and the whole ship is controlled by this very small thing. And then James gives us this 
kind of negative example, talking about a fire and the power of a fire. It doesn't take much for a small fire to turn into something very big, right? We, we just are coming out of uh, a very devastating wildfire season here in our own state. I don't know how many acres have burned over a million acres burned this year. And every single one of those fires, they didn't start as a big fire. They started as something very little that very quickly grew into something big. And these are the examples that James uses of the tongue, saying that the tongue, it's a very small thing. But that tongue that's a very small thing, it can boast of great things. How many of you have boasted of something in your life, taking credit for something that maybe was a bit of an exaggeration? Maybe even a full-blown lie, right? We, we've all probably done things like that. Well, James doesn't have a lot of kind things to say about the tongue. He goes on in verse 6 to say that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, this, this seems like a pretty brutal statement, does it not? The tongue is set on fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It stains the body. It sets on fire the course of life. The tongue can't be tamed. It's a restless evil. He goes on to say that it's even a deadly poison. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James, again, does not have a lot of kind things to say about the tongue. And I think he's trying to make a point here is that, that our words are not nothing. Our words are meaningful. Our words are powerful. Every single one of you, I'm sure, has experienced the power of words, whether you've spoken words to somebody in a positive way or a negative way, or someone has spoken words to you in a positive way or in a negative way. And we've all, we've all felt the pain of the negativity of words, have we not? Maybe you have etched into your memory things that somebody said to you a long, long time ago, maybe many, many years ago, and you just can't forget it because it stung so badly, because it was painful. At the same time, you may, you may remember kind things that people have said to you in the past. Maybe those are the things that are etched into your memory. James, James compares the tongue with wild animals, right? We were given the command in, in the book of Genesis when God created the earth, and He created humanity, He gave humans a, a couple of directives, to subdue the earth was one of those directives, to tame the earth. And James points out that, that humanity, we've tamed all the animals there are to tame. Right? You ever been to the zoo? Right? We've tamed every animal that there is to tame. Everything is within the control uh, of humans in, in terms of taming the animals of the world. But James says that the tongue, no one can tame the tongue. What One of the smaller parts of our body, yet one of the things that gets us into trouble more than anything, right? My, 
my thumb, for example, doesn't get me in trouble a whole lot, right? My foot, it doesn't get me into trouble a whole lot. It's our tongues that get us into trouble. It's our tongues that, that we have difficulty maintaining control of. James goes on in verse 9 to say, with it, speaking of our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so James is, is giving us a dichotomy here, saying that as followers of Christ, we, we ought to be able to tame our tongues in a way that people who don't follow Christ aren't able to tame their tongues. And if we're not able to tame our tongues as followers of Christ, James is saying there's something wrong here. That there's a disconnect here for the Christian who has difficulty taming their tongue. And I'm saying this realizing that, that I don't think James is demanding perfection of us here. Right? James, what we'll see in a few moments is I don't think he's just saying, like, watch what you say. Get your act together. I don't, I don't think he's saying that at all. But, but he's pointing out to us a truth that for the person who would bless God with their mouth and curse his brother and sister in Christ, like there, there's something amiss there. There's a disconnect there, right? There's something that, that, that doesn't align in that kind of a scenario. Up to this point in his, in his epistle, James has been dealing with the outworking of our faith, um, one, as it pertains to trials, two, as it pertains to how we treat one another, particularly those who aren't like us, and now, in this section, he's talking about the outworking of our faith as it pertains to the words that we use and how we do or don't control our tongue. All the while, James is reminding us now, three chapters into his epistle, that authentic faith in Christ is not a faith that's necessarily about following the rules, although we have a propensity to make it about that. But authentic faith will show itself in the life of the believer and how we live our lives. And an authentic faith in Christ is going to demonstrate itself in a life that lives, one, for the good of others, and two, for the glory of God. And again, James, I don't think here is demanding perfection because, as we've already established, none of us are perfect. But there's a trajectory to our lives that ought to, for those who profess Christ, ought to be on a tra trajectory that lives for the good of others and for the glory of God. In Matthew 12, 33, Jesus has this to say. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, speaking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think for today's age in our society, we can only say, not only say that you'll be accountable for the words that you speak, but you'll be accountable for the words that you type as well right? Typing words wasn't a thing back in ancient times, but it is today. 
And Jesus is reminding us at the end of the day, the good fruit comes from the good trees and the bad fruit comes from the bad trees. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so we can get a clue about our faith based on the things that we say. And again, not, not looking for perfection because you know what, I, I say things probably every day that ought not to be said. And even if I don't say things every day that ought not to be said, I surely think things that ought not be thought. But there's a disconnect between the one who professes faith in Christ yet cannot or will not get a handle on what comes out of their mouth. James is trying to show us here that the Christian lives in a manner different than the non-Christian. There should be a difference. If, if as Christians we look a lot like people that aren't Christians, that, that, that ought not be so. As Christians, there should be something about our lives that people look at and say, you know what, that person's different from the rest of the world. That person lives differently, that person speaks differently than the rest of the world. We have the power with our words to build or to destroy. We have power with our words to bless and to curse. We have power with our words to encourage or discourage. And ultimately, we have power with our words to speak life to people or to speak death to people. Scroll your social media feeds for just a few minutes and you'll see how this plays out. I have many friends that I'm connected with via social media uh, of whom would profess to be followers of Christ, and many who, who I don't doubt that. Not, not saying that I doubt it at all, but many of those same friends, when I look at the things that they say on social media, I look at that and think, that, that's not very Christ-like. And again, I, I say things every day that aren't Christ-like, and I think things every day that aren't Christ-like, so I don't want to be up here like the pot calling the kettle black. But I see people, even often in the name of Christ, saying things that are not Christ-like at all. Saying things via social media that you would never say to somebody if you were standing face-to-face -face with them. I think it was a, a meme that I saw that, I think it had a picture of Mike Tyson that said, people say things with a keyboard that they would never say face-to-face -face because you can't punch somebody in the face through a screen. <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. Like, we're pretty bold when, when we don't have a perception of consequences for the things that we say. James would say that ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. Our words at the end of the day are a reflection of our faith. The things that we say to people, things that we type on our keyboard, they're a reflection of our faith. And I would ask myself, I would ask all of us, how well are the things that we say or type, how well do those things reflect the faith that we profess to have? This is why James is making such a big deal of this. One of the, one of the things as I'm reading through this is why, why is James making such a big deal about what we say, right? We, we all say dumb things from time to time. We all stick our foot in our mouth. We all say things we wish we could take back. It's just kind of part of our human experience, right? Why is it that James is making such a big deal out of this? One of the things I wrestled with a bit this week 
is where, where do we find the gospel in this? <clears throat> One of the things that, that we talked about on the outset of the book of James is that, that James isn't just a book of practical living and a book of rules, that there's a gospel lens through which James writes. And, and Pastor David and I work hard week in and week out to not just put heavy burdens on you and to say, well, James says, watch your mouth, so you know, have a good week and watch your mouth. Like That's not the message of James. We, we have to look at these things through the lens of the gospel, through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you can look at a passage and you can say pretty easily, Here, here's the gospel. The gospel is very explicit. It just jumps off the page. Other times, and this was my week this week, where you read a passage and you think, like, you have to do a little, little bit more work to find the gospel in this. And, and I want to attempt this morning to, to give us a gospel lens through which we look at the taming of our tongue. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, a passage that might be familiar to some of you. I think Kirk is going through John in, in their Bible study. John 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a passage that connects the dots for us back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth, the plants, the animals, the sun, the moon, the stars, the bugs, the fish, the reptiles, everything that we see God created. And do you know how God created everything? He created with His Word. He said, simply said, let it be. He spoke into nothingness and said, let it be. And out of nothingness came something. Can you do that? I can't do that. I can't speak into nothingness and say, let there be, and then it will be. But God did that, and John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, capital W. All things were made through Him, the Word being a person. We skip down a few verses to John 1.14, and it says, the Word, again, capital W, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So John here is talking about Jesus Christ being the living Word. The living embodiment of the Word of God. The Word who was in the beginning, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, the Word who created all things and made everything. The Word through whom nothing was made that was made apart from Him. And that Word that created in the beginning came and dwelt among us. God stepping into human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and dwelling among His creation. God created all of there is by His life-giving Word and He spoke into existence all of creation. And then the living Word, Jesus Christ, stepped down and lived among us as the Word became flesh. What an incredible truth this is. One pastor, Brian Chappell, says in his book that God's Word is powerful because He chooses to exercise His power through it and to be present in it. 
By his word, God brought the world into being, Genesis 1, and Jesus is the word by whom all things were made, John chapter 1, and who continues sustaining all things by his powerful word, Colossians chapter 1. The word, capital W, uses his word, lowercase w, to reveal his person and to carry out all of his purposes. Think about it this way. God created the the entire world, everything that's in it, the entire universe, everything that we see and everything that we can't see, including humanity. And it didn't take very long, three chapters into history as we know it, the book of Genesis, the humans that God created, they rebelled against Him. An ultimate insult. And then God one day sent His one and only Son to those rebellious people, And what do they do to the Son that God sent? They nailed Him to a cross. We, as humans, nailed Him to a cross and sentenced Him to death. Now, what's particularly remarkable about this is that Jesus Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew that He would come to a rebellious people that He created and that those rebellious people would ultimately hang Him on the cross. And if it's not crazy enough that he knew that was going to happen, Jesus went through with the plan, knowing how it was going to end. Think about this also. So, given the fact that Jesus knew how the plan was going to unfold, he stepped into human flesh, he came to earth, he dwelt among the rebellious people that he created. And what did Jesus do while he was here? Think about the things that Jesus did. Think about the things that He said. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm not, but if I am, and I I know how this thing is going to play out, probably by the time I get to earth, I'm going to have some things to say to you people. Right? Y'all done messed up. Get your act together, right? These are the kinds of things that, that I would probably say. But Jesus, He didn't come to scold humanity. He didn't come to tear us down. He didn't come to point the finger at us. He didn't come to reprimand us. He didn't come to tell us that we better get it together. He didn't come to lay down the law. All of which we would rightfully deserve if He did. But He came, the Bible tells us, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He came, as the Bible tells us, to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save, to go after the rebels. He came to seek and go after those who were against Him. Ultimately, He came to call you and I as rebellious humans into relationship with our Creator. Jesus came not to speak death to us, but He came to speak life to a dead people. Are you kind of getting now maybe why our words matter? Because this is true, because the gospel is true, because Jesus did for us what we can and will never do for ourselves, because He came after us when we were running the other way, because He came not to lay down the law, not to point the finger at us, not to tear us down, not to condemn us, but because He came to speak life to a dead people, because this is true as followers of Christ and the things that we say to people matter. The words that we use matter. Controlling our tongue matters. 
living out our faith and speaking our faith matters. Do we understand that today? That it matters. Ephesians 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, in other words, in light of this being true, in light of the gospel, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As we remember the gospel, as we're reminded hopefully every week that we come here of the truth of the gospel, I need to be reminded of the gospel every week. You need to be reminded of the gospel every week. Maybe daily, maybe even moment by moment, not just weekly. Right? We should live always in the truth of the gospel. But one of the reasons that, that we gather corporately on Sunday is so that we can be reminded all together of the truth of the gospel so that when we go out this week and we live our lives that we can remember the gospel and let that truth inform the things that we say to people and the way that we treat people and the way that we live out our lives. There's nothing more hypocritical than the person that says, I believe Jesus, but I hate you. That there's no greater disconnect than saying that we love God and not loving the things that God loves. Ephesians chapter 4, 25 to 32 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I don't know about you. Years ago, I was, had the opportunity to preach this passage, and this is a passage I've read dozens, if not hundreds, of times in my life. When I came to this part that said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, it jumped out at the page to me like it never had before, and I became very convicted about the things that I say. Now, again, I'm not standing here saying that, that I have this completely dialed in, far from it. But there's probably not a day that goes by in my life where I don't think about this, where I don't think about this passage, where I don't think about using my words to build up and to not tear down. Again, I fail at it regularly. But one of the reasons that we can live this way is, is as we come to an understanding and a belief in the gospel, we, we can remember that Christ came and called me out of death and into life. Christ used His words to bring me into relationship to Him. Therefore, we can use our words and we can control and tame our tongue in a manner that helps other people come to know Christ. And so do you see, given this truth, that, it, that it's not just about following the rules? James isn't just saying, just be careful with what you say and watch your mouth. James isn't giving us a burdensome rule to follow. 
Right? We connect the dots with who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and in light of who He is, and in light of what He's done for us, now we're free not to say just anything and everything that we want, not to light into people and give them harsh truth, but we're free to use our words to show grace to the people around us. We're free to use our words to call people out of death and into life and relationship with Christ. The way that we deal with one another should be informed by the way that Jesus has dealt with us. As we believe and understand the gospel, one of the ways that this shows is in how we treat people, including the way that we control our tongue and use our words. And so here's my encouragement to you today as we wrap this up. To think about day in and day out, am I using my words to bring life to people? Or am I using my words to bring death to people? And to think about every opportunity that you have, every moment that you have, what can I say in this moment that is life-giving? What can I say in this moment that's gracious? What can I say in this moment that shows people something about who Christ is? And that doesn't always have to mean that you have to open up your Bible and preach to everybody in every given moment. It doesn't necessarily mean that. There's, there's opportunities for that, yes. But we can speak life to people sometimes simply by just being kind. We can show grace to people sometimes by simply just holding back the thoughts that are really on our mind that may not be helpful in the moment. We can show people something about who Christ is by seeking to always build people up with the things that we say. And it's not always easy. I'm not saying it's easy at all. It's difficult. But we can show people something about who Christ is when we seek to build them up rather than to tear them down. And there's way too much tearing down going on in our world today. And so as followers of Christ, as those who believe the gospel, it would be my prayer, and I'm going to pray this for us all in just a moment, that God would help us. He would help us to control our tongues, that He would help us to speak life and not to speak death, that He would help us to build up and to not tear down. And so be encouraged today as, as followers of Christ and those who believe the gospel that this, this is possible. <laughs> it's absolutely possible. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful today that you love us. We're grateful, um, grateful that you stepped into human flesh. We're grateful that the living word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, Father, today as we remember the truth of the gospel, I pray that you would help us day in and day out. Even this week as maybe we gather with family and friends, and, and sometimes those gatherings can be a bit contentious because of family dynamics. God, help us to be people that always seek to build up. Help us to be people that always seek to show grace to others. Help us to be people that always endeavor to speak life to those around us and not death. And ultimately, God, help us to be people that live for the good of others and for your glory, that that would be especially reflected in our lives, not only in the things that we do, but in the words that we say. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.